Well, good morning. Um, all the saints in exile in Seattle bring you greetings. And it uh, does feel that way uh, at times just to... Um, I'm originally from California and grew up in the, in the warmth and the sun and up in Seattle, um, both in its... Uh, progressive politics and its reign uh, feels like a different world. So it's fun to be here, um, fun to be in the sun and enjoy what you guys have here. Thank you for turning the heat up for just this weekend. I know this is the only time it's warm around here, but it's been great. Um, We are going to jump right into the passage and uh, uh, we just read it. This whole concept of Hebrews is one of those books that's a little challenging to work your way through. It's very similar to like when you're trying to read through the Bible and you start reading and you get off to a good start and all the fun stories until you get to Leviticus and things kind of bog down. Hebrews can feel that way a little bit as it begins to wrestle through some of the deeper theology of what it means to be a follower of Christ, of what it means, this whole thing about the theology of, of when God has a son and sends his son down to, to be our sacrifice and our, uh, our replacement for everything that we've done with our life. He does this better thing. So it all lays out. You guys, I know that Darren has been going through Hebrews, so you've been covering a lot of that. This passage reaches over and kind of gives a little nod to that and then says, now I want to talk to you about something else and about why that matters. So we see that right off the bat in the first couple of verses. It says, therefore, brothers, and hopefully you know that whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask yourself what the therefore is therefore. So therefore, we're going to talk about the therefore. So the therefore says all of this stuff that we've been talking about, about the the Old Testament law, about the sacrifices, about the sin of man and how God sent his son to be that sacrifice and how Jesus himself is the high priest. And in all of that, it says, therefore, because of everything that he has done, And then he adds another one. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us do these things. So what he's saying is, therefore, since Jesus has done all of this, then let us do this. In fact, I would refer to it as the three kinds of lettuce. It's a little bit of a vegan sermon um, as you look at it because it does, he does this three times. He says, let us draw near in verse 22. And then in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast. And then in verse 24, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So you have three kinds of lettuce and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is the three different kinds of lettuce. That first one, it let us draw near it says, here's all the things that Jesus has done. Therefore, since he's done that, then let us do this. And so that's the simple premise as we jump into this passage is just that. The draw near concept is about the Holy of Holies. He's just talked about it and he said because Jesus has opened up the Holy of Holies, that veil that separated it so that only the high priest could go in up till that time, that's where the presence of God was, that's where he dwelled and no one got to go in there except one priest who was the high priest at certain times of the year. Otherwise, no one could go into the presence of God. But because of Jesus and everything that he's done, 
through his sacrifice, that veil has been ripped, that curtain is gone. He's now the new curtain, and his blood has made us clean in order for us to be able to draw near to come into the presence of God. So he says, since he's done all that, then therefore let us draw near. So here's how it works with drawing near. Um, I remember the day I met my wife, and I was working in the kitchen, and I was scrubbing a pot, and as I'm scrubbing in a pot, she comes walking up, and she's a beautiful woman, and I looked up, and I'm an intelligent man, I got good eyesight, and I could see that she was a beautiful woman, and I looked at her, and I thought, I want to draw near. It was just simple. It was that it was something I desired, something I wanted, and I felt inside that I wanted to draw near. Now, we've been married for quite a few years now, and we have kids, so you'll know that I, I did. I, I, I actually did draw near. But that's not the point, so I shouldn't have gone there. Um, the, the point is this, is that throughout our marriage, there have been times where, like when you wake up in the morning and your breath is just really bad, and it's just like not good. And it's, uh, you have all kinds of names for it, dragon breath, things like that. But I've noticed that when I have that kind of breath, she is less inclined to draw near to me. Have you ever felt that way? Some of you are going, yeah, point him out. That person right next to me right now could use this talk. This talk isn't about how we brush our teeth. This talk is about this idea of drawing near and what happens when we have something that keeps us away from something and then that's taken away and now we can draw near. It's that simple concept of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Now, I work up at the, at the Union Gospel Mission in Seattle, and we do all kinds of work with homeless, addicted, mentally ill, different people in the community that are wrestling with issues of poverty and things like that. One of the things we do, though, is we try to model the gospel as much as we can in different ways and present it clearly in our community. One of the ways we do this is we, we go where the homeless are. We move towards them. And it's a simple concept that in our life, if we're broken and we're we're wrestling with things, God himself looked down on that and said, you know what, rather than waiting for them to reach me, which we can't do, he then sends his son down to us. So he draws near to us. And this story, we simply do that in our community. We look for those people who have isolated themselves and marginalized themselves, or we've marginalized them. We've put them out on the edges. They've chosen to be out on the edges. It doesn't matter much how they got there. What matters is that they are there, and we move towards them. So one of the ways we do it is we bring a shower trailer. In Seattle, the weather's not like this. It's going to be a cold, rainy day, and it's just nasty weather. And some of these individuals are not near any running water or anything else. So they'll be out there sometimes for months without even having a shower. So we created a shower trailer. We bring the shower trailer out, and we bring towels and clean underwear, new underwear, new towels, new soap, shampoo, and we bring everything they need to be able to take a hot, warm shower on a cold, miserable day and just to clean up. Well, we go to some of these things that are called sanctioned encampments, where the government has set up areas where the homeless can camp and some services are provided. And so we bring our shower trailer to this one particular encampment one day, and we're there providing showers. But across the road is what we would refer to as an unsanctioned encampment. It's an area where people aren't supposed to be, but it's people that are typically wrestling with an addiction, substance abuse issue. They may have some other criminal justice issues, and they're hiding from the law, but they stay off in this other area. So 
So we got our shower trailer set up and people are taking showers and I look over and here comes this guy and he's walking across the road and he's coming towards the shower trailer. But I have to describe him. His shoulders are dropped down. He's hunched over. His head is down. He won't make eye contact with us. And as he shuffles up, his hair is hanging down and it's just greasy, dirty hair from months of not showering, months of not washing. His clothes are dirty. He's dirty. And he comes up, but he knows it. He feels it. He feels unclean. He knows he smells. And you can tell that's just enveloped everything about him. And as he does, he walks up. He keeps a little distance to me. And he stops and says, can I have a shower? And I look at him and I say, no, this shower is for everybody on this side. Get out of here. You can't have a shower. I'm kidding. Of course you can have a shower. And we give him a brand new towel and we give him underwear and we give him everything he needs and we put him in there. And he goes in and for 15 minutes he has taken this hot shower and he's not coming out. And it's like when your kids are in the shower and you're banging on the wall and you're turning on hot water in other parts of the house so that the water gets cold and he comes out. He eventually comes out and this man has been transformed by the shower. His shoulders are back, his head is up, and his hair, because it's been freshly cleaned, is just going bing. It's just wild, clean hair. And he has a grin on his face, and he goes, this is the best day. That felt so good. This is wonderful. And he couldn't stop talking with us. He just wanted to engage with us. He came close to us. He drew near. This is actually what the passage says. That as you look at it, it comes through and it says, verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That now that we've been made clean, we don't have to soak about, worried about who we are or what we've done or, oh, you don't know all the things that my life has been involved, what's happened to me and what I've done. Instead, it's just the opposite. He says, no, you're all clean. You're all better. Draw near. Come, draw near. The strange thing about it is why he has to ask us and actually tell us, encourage us, almost command us, you need to draw near. Think about this. You, you're sitting at home one day. There's a, there's a place around here, and I think some of you may have heard about it, but in the area um, somewhere around here is a place called Disneyland. And at Disneyland, there was a guy who thought it all up, and his name's Walt Disney. And so you're sitting at your house one day, and the phone rings, and it's Walt Disney, and this is amazing. One, because he's dead, but two, because he's calling you. And Walt Disney calls you, and he says, look it, here's the deal. I want to bring you to Disneyland. You and I are going to go to the park together. We're going to have all day and we're going to go ride the rides together. We're going to do backstage stuff and I'm going to show you places at Disneyland no one's ever seen. And as we go together, I'm going to tell you why I did things a certain way and some of the backstories of how things happened and and I'm going to get you free stuff along the way and we're going to get fast passes all day long. This is going to be awesome. We're going to go to the front of the line. This is all going to be wonderful. Are you going to want to go? Are you just going, nah, yeah, he's on me, pick me, pick me. We would want to do that, wouldn't we? What would happen if we got that invitation? Something exciting has been offered to us, the holy of holies where God dwells. We've been invited into the presence of God and he says, come. And we're like, yeah, I'm not so sure I want to go. I don't know that I want to go to Disneyland and not with Walt Disney. 
This is what he's saying. He's saying, come, come, draw near into the presence of God. And then we have to ask ourselves, why, what is it about us that we don't actually want to go? That there's something in us that, that either we're still hanging on to sin that he's already said, that's done. I've already died for that. You've been cleansed from that. Past, present, and future. You're okay with me. Is it our lack of faith? Is it our own pride? Is it there's certain sins that we want to hang on to and I know that I shouldn't bring that into the presence of God so I'm just going to stay out here so I can still hold it. I don't know what it is with you. The point is just when you see this and he says draw near, whatever it is that's keeping you from drawing near, put it down, go towards him, move towards him. There's one last part of this story that if you're going into Disneyland and Walt Disney comes up to the back entrance and he goes into the gate and the security guards are like, hey, Walt, it's great. And they let him in. But as you're coming up, they start to close the door because they're like, no, 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 this is staff only. Sorry, you're not welcome here. And then Walt himself stops and says, no, 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 no. He's with me. She's with me. Come in. This is what this is about. He's already paid the price. He's already made us clean. He's already made the way. He's already taken down the veil and that way is open and we are invited into drawing near. Let us draw near with a true heart. Next one, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. So I'm looking for an illustration for this idea of holding fast. And, you know, that idea of not letting go, of making sure you're holding fast to something, holding hard, holding firm. And I find out that there's this story that happened in 2013 in Moore, Oklahoma. It was the peak of the tornado season, and a tornado is barreling down, and it just sets down on the city of Moore, Oklahoma. And as it's coming down on the city, they don't even have time to set off the, the warnings or anything else. People are in command or in instructed to just shelter in place. You don't have time to get anywhere else. Go to the inner parts of the building, go into the bathrooms, the closets, wherever you can, and shelter in that place because this tornado is a big one and it's coming hard and fast and you're going to need to be in a safe place. There's a particular day center that is smack dab in the middle of the path of the tornado and there's a bunch of kids there and there's an assistant director named Kathy Wilson and so she tells all the kids, get into the closets, get into the bathrooms. She goes into the bathroom with some of the kids. Other staff members take other kids. She gets them all around the toilet, and she has them hang on to each other. She grabs a hold of some around one side of the toilet and grabs a hold of this little girl area and says, come on, everybody in here, and they hold on tight to each other. They hear the tornado coming. It hits the 7-Eleven just across the street, and they can hear as the 7-Eleven is destroyed. It explodes. It's just obliterated. And then they hear and feel their own buildings start to shake and vibrate as the tornado is now hitting on them. And as it does, it rips off the roof. It starts destroying the walls and there's lumber and splinters and debris flying around. And because tornadoes are low pressure, it's literally sucking the water out of the toilet. All the water out of the toilet is being taken up. Everything is being taken up. It's all getting ripped up. And Kathy Wilson is there holding on to everybody and she holds on to Aria and as she's holding on to Aria's ankle, the tornado is so strong that Aria starts to get lifted up and is getting lifted up into the tornado. And here's the question, how firm would you hold on to Aria? 
How hard would you hold her? How, how much would you grip her ankle and never let her go? This idea of holding fast, that's not what this passage is talking about. It has nothing to do with that. Let Aria go. Just let her go into the storm. Goodbye, Aria. That's not what this story means. Look at the passage. This is what it says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised now some of you cannot even think to the passage right now you're wondering about area (laughs) focus on the passage (laughs) let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful what we're holding on to is it's actually reversed Kathy Wilson represents the role of Jesus she's holding on to us It's not us holding on for our salvation and we've got to be all strong. It's him that has us. And what we're holding fast to is the confession, the profession of our faith that we're saying, I'm with him, he has me. This is the part we hang on to. We hold on to that when the debris is flying around, when the storms come, when things aren't going well, and when toilet water is all flying about. And I can think in times in my life when it felt like toilet water was flying about. You can too, because life is like that. And when life is going crazy like that, things are coming unraveled, we have a tendency to panic. And we begin to go into the doldrums and we begin to stress and we begin to worry. And this passage says, don't do that. Hold fast to your profession of the hope that you have, unwavering for he who promised is faithful. He who has your ankle is faithful. He has you. What we're to hold on to is that profession and go, ah, he's got me. I'm with him. When Walt Disney stops and says, no, he's with me, now it's our turn to stop and go, I'm with him. It's just a fun little turn there. He's with me, and then we say, and I'm with him. And that's what gets me through the storms. That's how we play this out, this simple concept right there. Let us hold fast the confession or the profession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Last one. Consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So we have let us draw near, let us hold fast, and this third type of lettuce is let us consider. So we're going to start with just that word before we get into the whole phrase. But that word, that word consider is the same word that's used in the New Testament in the book of Acts when it talks about how Moses went to look at the burning bush. When the burning bush caught on fire, he was a shepherd, he's out doing his sheep, a bush catches fire out in the distance and there's like nothing around. And so Moses goes over to look at the bush to try to figure out what's going on. In Acts, the writer uses this exact same word, and it says, as Moses went over to the bush to consider, to ponder, to wonder, to think about what's happening here, that's what we're supposed to do in this passage, is that same kind of consider. It's the same word used when Jesus says, consider the ravens, or when he says, consider the lilies. As Jesus teaches and says, consider the lilies that not even King Solomon, by the way, my name is Jeff Lilly, and that's my last name, and so this verse has tremendous truth in it. Consider the lilies. Even King Solomon, all his finery, was not dressed as fine as one of these. That's a good verse. You should probably memorize that. But the concept is, is that here's this, this 
flower that grows up out of the ground, and we can do the scientific part of it. We can take a black seed, put it in brown dirt, and add clear water, and up comes green leaves and a purple flower. Or another bright-colored lily, orange. And you're going, how does that happen? Jesus is not talking about that either, actually. That's just a cool thing about lilies. But what he's talking about is he's talking about that even though King Solomon has to go out and hire tailors and seamstresses and people are going to make fabric, he says he does everything he can to try to get dressed up and make it through, but the lilies don't do anything. They simply just pop up and are beautiful. And he says, I want you to think about that. I want you to ponder that. I want you to think about the meaning of that, that there are things in life that God just has taken care of. And he says, I'm taking care of you. Think about that. That I even take care of the sparrows. I take care of the lilies. They do well. Realize I have you. That's the consider he wants us to do. All right? So with that, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Now this part, I kind of love. Because the stir up actually means to incite, provoke. It's the idea that that I would come up and just like grab somebody, shake them and go, come on, man, you can do it. It's it's the idea that if somebody does something and you just like, you're like, no, really, you got to get into it and they just slap you. So right now, I need every one of you just to look at the person next to you and just slap them. Just give them a really hard whack. Some of you are just not taking this seriously. This is a command. It says, let us consider how to slap one another. No, it says to stir up, to incite, to provoke. It's that concept, though. In every other passage in the New Testament, this phrase for stirring up is used with a negative connotation. This is the only part that it has a positive one, so stop slapping each other. But the idea is this, that we consider how we can provoke or incite somebody to do what? To do love and good works. This is a crazy idea that we're being commanded, we're being encouraged to go out and go up to each other and try to think and plan how to incite someone to do something good. It's called scheming. (laughs) How am I going to get them to do this? And this idea of scheming is exactly what it is. It's planning and scheming how we can get someone else to do something that is love and good works. So I work at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, and I used to work up at Human Lake Christian Camps up in the mountains. I raised my family up there. We were up there in the mountains for about 30 years. And in the process, God taps on our shoulder and says, I'm sending you off to Seattle to work in a rescue mission. We'd never been to Seattle. We'd never been in a rescue mission. And it was crazy. It was like, God, not the right resume. Sorry, you're sending me the wrong place. He said, no, you're going. And so we went and we get to Seattle, but I'm showing up at this rescue mission to work in a role that I don't know anything about. So the previous president, just before he retires, we spent a three-month overlap, and we spend time, and he's doing as much offloading as he can, and along the way, he says, Jeff, I want you to see the different ministries that the mission does, and so I'm going to send you out to work and be a part of those different ministries. And he says, one of them is the men's shelter downtown, and you can think about the rescue missions in downtown LA, that's kind of the, the place where it's at, and he sends me there, and he says, I'm sending you there, and you're going to be able to, to go and... It's four days, three nights, all expenses paid. You get to stay at the men's shelter. 
It's like, oh, this is fun. Thanks, Herb. Herb's his name. Herb sends me down there to the men's shelter, and I stay there four days, three nights. On the last night, he has me go out on this thing called a search and rescue van, and the vans go out all over the county bringing blankets and hot chocolate and sandwiches and different things like that, but mostly people and relationships and love to people who don't normally get that, to try to encourage them to come off the street, to make sure they survive the night, but can we help them in any way? So the vans are going out like that, and I'm just, I've been in the mountains, so I've not seen anything like that. People that are heroin addicts, meth addicts, they're out on the streets, and we're going up to them, and it's scary to me. It's a November night, it's cold, it's rainy, and it's just nasty out, and you're working with people that you're going to places where your mom told you never to go, and now you're going there on purpose, and it's like, what's wrong with this picture? But I know we're going to go into some nasty spots, so I wear some of my worst clothes. I find that pair of shoes that are my worst pair of shoes. It's the ones that, like, after I've been running in them for a while, they're worn out, so I don't wear them running anymore. Now I use them to mow the lawn, and now they're so stained green that my wife won't even let me bring them into the house anymore. That pair of shoes, I'm wearing that night. And as we go out, we go into some really nasty places, and finally we're at the tail end of the night, and as we're getting ready to close up the van doors and be done for the night, I hear off in the distance, wait, wait for me. And I'm like, what is that? And I look up the street, and coming down the street is this really big kid, and he's like 6'4", big guy, stocky, and he's running towards the van, but he's screaming, wait, wait for me. And I also hear this noise, and the noise is slap, 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 slap. And I'm like, what is that? And as I'm looking, as he comes closer, I realize he doesn't have any shoes on. He's in just his socks on this late, it's, it's probably one in the morning now, on a cold November night in Seattle, pouring down rain, and here he comes in socks. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have put on socks and you run in the wet the, the moisture gets sucked up into the sock. The sock gets really wet, and as you run, it gets heavy, so it starts to pull off your foot. How many of you have done this before? How many have not done it? All right, you have an assignment for today. I need you to put on your socks, go put on the sprinkler, go run around until they're so- soaked, and then go run down the street. You, it'll help you understand this. It's a must. You've got to do it. Any case... He's coming down towards us. He's got these wet socks and they're dragging along on his foot and slapping down the, the street. He comes up to the van and he stops and he says, oh man, so glad I caught you. Do you guys have any dry socks? And I'm like, dude, you don't need socks. You need shoes. You know, I'm going to give you socks. As soon as you put them on, they're going to be wet again. It's like, come on, you need shoes. And he looks at me and it's just like, like I'm foolish. Like, well, do you have any? It's like, well, no. You know how many pairs of shoes we'd have to have to have sizes for everybody? We don't have, and as I'm explaining it, I realize he's right. You need socks, dude. We've got to get you some socks. Because we don't have shoes for you. And so we're getting him a sandwich. We're getting some hot chocolate and a new little beanie. And we're getting him all set up. Getting him all you know, hot chocolate, be warm. I'm standing there. And as I'm standing there, this little voice whispers to me. Give him your shoes. And I look at him. He's 6'4". He's got big feet. They look really big because the socks are really long. And I'm looking at him and give him your shoes. And I whisper back, no. No. 
because what's going to happen? I'm going to give him, he's a homeless guy. It's like, come on, he's, he's already lost one pair. He's probably going to lose mine. What shoes do I have on? I have the worst possible shoe. I, my wife's been begging me for to throw these shoes away. And I'm somehow hanging on to them. Something's wrong with me. But in that process, I look at him, what size do you wear? He says, 13. Good. <laughs> I wear 11, 12s. That's not going to work. Can't give you my shoes. And the voice says, no, come on. So I do that little flamingo thing and take off a shoe and I'm just like hopping out there and I loosen up the laces and I hand him the shoe. He takes the shoe. He slips it on and I'm not kidding. He says, ah, just like Cinderella. (laughs) And I'm like, no, dude, this is not like Cinderella. That is not a glass slipper, and you are not a princess. And no, this is not like Cinderella. And I'm almost looking at him like, give me my shoe back, because it's not supposed to fit. Instead, he's looking at me, and he's like, really, dude? Like, you're going to give me one shoe? So you're going to have one, I'm going to have one, and we both go through life in misery. And I'm like, oh, man. And so I take off the other shoe, I put my feet down onto the wet pavement, And what's flashing through in my mind is the fact that I have too many pairs of shoes at home. That I'm at the end of the night and I'm about to go to a warm, safe place. He's about to go back into the wet night and I'm worried about my shoes. I'm worried about the shoes that I should have thrown away a long time ago. And as I get back in the van, my staff is all excited. They're like, oh, Jeff, this is so awesome. The president of the mission gave away his shoes. And I'm like, no, this is not awesome. You don't know what was happening in my heart. You don't know what I just wrestled through. And I just got a clear picture of who I am. And then it begins to click with me that Herb Fifner, the previous president, had set up for me to go spend four days, three nights at the rescue mission and said, Jeff, I need you to go out on the van. Because he knew that once I was out there, things would start to happen. He had been planning and conspiring to send me out to do loving good works. And it snuck up on me. I didn't want to do loving good works, for crying out loud. I wanted to talk about things like that. I didn't want to do it. And Herb set it up and conspired and planned so that I would do it. This is what this passage is saying. Consider, think, plan how to do love and good works. How to encourage, how to stir up, how to incite, how to provoke others to do love and good works. That's what the verse says. So we're going to do that now. I need you to pull out your cell phones. Seriously, I know Darren probably tells you, put away your phones for crying out loud. I'm telling you just the opposite. Get your phone out. Pull it out. If you didn't bring your phone, then pull out a piece of paper and a pen because you're going to need to write something. But those of you who have your phones, and hopefully most of you have your phones, what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to try to provoke you and incite you to do love and good works. I need you to think of somebody who you love or somebody that you may be having a hard time with, and I need need you to text them right now. I need you to send them a note. I need you to write to them and just say, hey, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Write somebody, text somebody, and just send them a heart emoji or a dancing baby, whatever it is that's going to make them happy. But reach out to somebody and say, hey, can we grab coffee sometime? Haven't seen you in a while, and I've been thinking about you, been missing you. 
Somebody else, maybe a mom that's single parent and just stop and say, hey, any chance that I could maybe watch your kids later this week so you can get a break? Maybe there's somebody that you just need to say, hey, I just want to ask forgiveness for what happened last night. I don't know what it is with you, but I trust the Spirit of God can bring somebody to your mind that you can just send a text to. Maybe you need to call. And I'm going to give you permission right now to hit dial and call them and just start talking to them right now and go, look, I can't talk long. I got maybe 30 seconds and then he's going to probably close in prayer. So I just wanted you to know how special you are to me. Do it now. Please do it. If you don't have a phone, write a note of who you're going to contact as soon as you get out of here. Something you can do. Think and plan. Some of you are like, I can't think of anything. Then look across the audience, find somebody you know and text them and say, hey, will you get together with me and we're going to plan and scheme so that we can do something? Because that's what this passage says. It literally says, don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren, of the body of the, of the church to do this kind of work. Now, if you did that, if you were able to send something, stand up, please. Seriously, if you sent a note, if you were able to call, just stand up. I want you to look around. This is what love looks like. This is what happens when the body of Christ provokes each other to say, let's do something good here. It's not one message went out to touch one life. Right now, we probably have a hundred messages that went out all over this community to reach out and touch somebody else's life and say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I care about you. How cool, how hard was that? This is what the body of Christ is to do, is to get together. This is what church is about. I don't know what else Darren makes you do, but this is what he should, he should be telling you, get your cell phones out. We got to do the the text thing again, that kind of stuff. You guys can sit down. But I want you to think about this for just a second. This idea of what happens in the Holy of Holies, of why he says draw near, this thing that says therefore since, is because therefore since he's opened up this place, you can draw near. Therefore since he's done all of this, you can say I'm with him, I can do this confession. When we get to this one, it says wait, therefore since we plan and scheme good works, how to provoke each other onto good works. Yeah, you know why? Because the holy of holies is where the presence of God dwells. Guess what God does? He plans and schemes love and good works for us. That's what happens in the holy of holies. One of the reasons we don't want to go to the holy of holies is like, yeah, what happens there? I don't want to go there. What if you realize this is the place where God designs our future? God plans God schemes for us. Ever heard of that verse? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper. That's him in the Holy of Holies planning with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and they're getting together and scheming what can we do. People, we think about heaven and we think it's a cloud we sit on and play harps. No one wants to go there except harp players. 
But if we thought about it as a place where some of the brightest and the best, those who are loved and cherished and have seen grace in the deepest possible ways, get together and scheme and plan together and go, we're going to do some good things and we're going to make some really cool plans to just go out and love our community. Suddenly it becomes a more desirable place. When you hear people are getting together to come up with something like that, you think to yourself, I want to be a part of that. I want to do what they're doing. For in the Holy of Holies, that's what God does. That's what God did. That's what God is going to do. And we should draw near so that we can do it as well. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine that when they see your good works, they will praise your Father who is in heaven. It's not when they see your pastor doing good works and you're going, oh, that's a great church because Darren does some really cool stuff. No, then Darren gets the glory. It stops and says, so that when they see your good works, they will praise your Father who is in heaven because it's not one person, it's the body of Christ bringing light and hope and beauty and love and just wonderful things to people's lives. And it's going on so much that the community stops and says, that God must be a good God. Look at what happens when these people get together. The verse, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Three types of lettuce. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast to our confession of hope, unwavering, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am just so grateful that at some point when I was unconscious, unalive, was unaware of my life, of my sin, of anything about me, you were scheming, you were planning, you were conspiring to to not only create me, but to put me in a life that's incredibly beautiful to surround me with wonderful people. But even, Lord, as I would trip up, you were planning on how that could be made right, how I could once again come into your presence and be with you. You have been planning on how to send your son to die so that he might rise again and have power over death itself. Lord, you have been conspiring and planning for a day like today when we might just text a friend and say, I'm thinking about you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your creativity. Lord, may we model that well as we live out this gospel in your community. And we ask these things in your name.